0: Let's thank the band. Good job Awesome Well, how many of you are here for the I don't, we have a business conference coming up, don't we? How many of you are here for the business conference? Wow, bless you. How many of you are here that you've never been to Bethel before, ever before? Wow. Awesome. We're so glad you're here. And how many of you are here are first-year students? You're, you're here for, for school ministry. That only leaves about 10 of us that aren't in that category. And uh, last week I had the privilege of being in, in D.C. and uh, being at a church called D.C. Metro. It was very fun. They have five services that i, I preached in five services, the same message five times. <laughs> that last time was awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I even got the scriptures right the last time. Actually, the truth is, the last time was the hardest. It was like My brain faded, and I couldn't remember. You know when you preach the same message five times in a row? Actually, two times on Saturday and three times on Sunday. I, you can't remember if you told the story in this, this service or the one that was an hour ago. So uh, that's a challenge. So I kept saying, have I told you this story? They're like, no. I'm like, all right, I'm going to give it to you right now. Well, we're glad you're here, and we're so excited. School ministry starts, first year school ministry starts this week. It's so excited. I don't know. We have like 1,100 students or something like that coming from all over the world, and I think we have over 900 international students this year again. So exciting. (laughs) What's that? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, like 1,100 students in first year. We have like 2,100 students or something. Very... Very cool. They've all come to hear me. Just being a little funny here. Bill talked about jealousy. Oh, get jealous. Why don't you grab a hand and let's pray? Our students need to learn to sit strategically. When I preach, you sit by the person you want to date. Okay? Now, if I have to tell you twice, there is no wisdom in the second kick of the mule. And by the way, so far, five students have gotten married this way. So the dream is alive. The dream is alive. So you can just squeeze the hand of the person next to you if you want to date them. And if it's a yes, just squeeze back. And wouldn't it be beautiful, first-year students, right now, you could just court all through. Like, I've come here for God. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're a man... He who finds a wife finds favor with God. All right, right. I'm done with that. Let go of the hand and we'll pray. It's hard to pray when you're this excited, you know what I'm saying? It's like, Lord, we just bless this time. We thank you for, um, we just thank you that you've given us the privilege of reaching the nations. And we pray tonight that you would touch them again that you would do it again. And Lord, we know that we've come tonight to to see Jesus. We've come tonight to meet with Jesus. We've come tonight to hear the words of Jesus. Thank you for this testimony of this Muslim gal who found you and found love for the first time. Father, we pray that people would just feel love tonight. Just the revelation impartation, they would just feel love, the kiss of God tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we've been working in this, on this series. Um, uh, I forget what I actually called it, but it was just about creating a culture that um, that develops world changers. And I'm, at the same time, simultaneously, I'm writing a book, at least right now, it's called Forging Champions. I'm almost done with this book, and it's all about um, how to be fully actualized in God, how to meet your destiny, how to fulfill your destiny in God. And it's really, it's really just a book about the, some of the things that I've learned through um, through being mentored by by Bill and um, some of the things I've learned from um, uh, mentoring other people in our especially in our school ministry, and tonight I want to talk about um, success is a team sport. And um, I, I love uh, Proverbs thirteen two says this: He who walks with wise men um, will be wise, but a company but a companion of fools will suffer harm. I love the way uh, the Message Bible says it says. Be- become wise by walking with wise people hang out with fools and watch out your life's about to fall to pieces (laughs) how many know if you surround yourself with idiots you'll just be just like them and you become like the people that you hang out with and I had um, an experience about a year and a half ago and actually uh, you know it's one of those have you ever had an experience and at the time it was good but later on it kind of like it's like a slow growing seed in your heart have you ever had an experience where I, I, I don't know? It, it's kind of uh, odd to me. Most of the experiences I've had, they tend to be the most impact is during the experience, and later on it kind of fades. But sometimes, you, once in a while, you have an experience where the experience is good, but you leave, and it's like it's like a slow-growing tree in you, yeah. and later on, it starts to t- it actually has a bigger impact on you a year later, six months later, whatever. And, and the, I, I had this. Um, I had this. Uh, Encounter. I want to tell you about it in in a few minutes. But as I was writing uh, my book and I'm getting to the end of the book, I was thinking about some other things that that I've seen actually change the life of people. And you know, I'm just in this whole thing like, how do you? First of all, what is success? And secondly, how do you become successful in God? And I know that's a big subject. And so that's kind of the subject of the book I'm writing, and it's been the subject of I think the five of my last messages here at Bethel. And so I've been thinking of that. and, And as I was About two weeks ago, as I was nearing this chapter that I I had actually outlined about six months ago, and started to write this chapter, I started to have this, uh, I started to re-encounter this encounter. I started to think about it, and as I thought about it, I started to have the same sense of impartation as I had when I had this encounter. And and, um, it it began with a friend of mine. His name's Doug Coe. Anybody heard of Doug Coe? And Doug Coe, um, Doug Coe, I want to read you this. He has been referred to as a, as a stealth Billy Graham. In 2005, Doug Coe was named as one of the most 25 most influential evangelicals in the United States by Time Magazine. Um, he has counseled world leaders, and he's and he's one of the wise men. That um, he's one of the wisest men who live today. In 1990, the National Prayer Breakfast at the National Prayer Breakfast. George Bush praised Coe as the quiet dip, uh, diplomat. And um, also Hillary Clinton um, knows Doug Coe and said that he's one of the most loving spiritual mentors in the world, regardless of faith or party. And so he's a very significant uh, man. He's in his 80s. Uh, I've had the privilege of meeting him about, uh, 5 I think, four or five years ago. And um, Bill and I stayed at his uh, very beautiful, kind of a, I'd say it's kind of an old mansion. And diplomats from all over the world and, and world leaders uh, from all over the world come there. And hes, a, he's a, I would say he's actually one of the few men I know that f- is a father to nations. And they come often in crisis and stay there. And he speaks speaks life into them. So um, so I, I count it a privilege just to be able to sit with him and, 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 and be counted among his friends. Um, so about a year ago, uh, a couple of my friends, one's a mayor and one's a leader of a, of a foreign country. Um, they they were coming to D.C., and I said, how would you like to meet Doug Coe? And they're like, oh, that would be amazing. We, we've heard about him. I said, I think I can get us in a half an hour meeting with him. So I called uh, Doug and said, hey, I have two friends, and one's a mayor, and one's a leader of a nation. They would really love to meet you. And he said, oh, yeah, bring him in. I'd, I'd love to meet with him. So we uh, went in the, We went into, this, uh, into, into his uh, little uh, mansion there, and, uh, into his uh, Lincoln room We were in the Lincoln room And every room is named after uh, some president And some uh, world changer And we're sitting in the room And about I think there was like 10 of us in the room And we were just making small talk And he was asking them questions And they were asking him questions Just getting to know each other kind of questions And I don't remember uh, which person inspired it I think I've, I, I might have been the one who said um, We just have a few minutes left Would you Um, Could I I ask you a question in in light of my two friends Who are are young leaders, especially relative to him I said to him, um, if you had one thing to share with my friends um, One piece of wisdom, what would you share with them? And uh, everyone took out their notebooks (laughs) Like, you know, how often do you get to sit with the father of nations that presidents and prime ministers and ambassadors fly in from all over the world to sit with this man. I'm like, get your notebook out, right? You know which way the anointing flows. Get humble. And so, and immediately, without hesitation, he said, I've studied world leaders my entire life. And he named three, three world leaders, and one of them was uh, Wilberforce, and the other was Mother Teresa, and the third, I don't recall. And he said, um, and he used them as examples, and he said, one thing, I've, one thing that I've, I, I realized is that no one becomes successful by themselves. And he said, what most people don't understand, and he began to talk about the dynamics of Wilberforce's team that he actually proactively developed as a young man and who stayed with him all through his season in, in, um, in government. And then he went on to tell us about Mother Teresa. And he said, most people think that Mother Teresa was kind of like a lone ranger, just, you know, did her own thing. But that wasn't true. Like, from the very, from her very young years, she actually developed a team of people that actually counseled her and spoke into her life her entire life. And, and, and he mentioned one other. And he went on for about, actually about 20 minutes to share about what he had learned for the last 50 years about that the fact that world leaders never become great by themselves it's always the greatness of the team so there's always a faced there's often a face to that team that everyone thinks that person did it but he said it's not true it's actually greatness is actually a team sport yeah, that's good. That's good. Wow. my uh my friends and of course I, i'm not telling you all the details my friends were frantically taking notes and, I, I, and then he looked at my two friends, and he said, um, who, who, again, are young leaders. They've probably been leaders for 10 years or so, 15 years. And he looked at both of them, and he said, if I were you, I would proactively develop a council of leaders. And he began to give them specific instruction of what a council of leaders look like, how to find them, and what to do with them. I'm like, I'm taking notes. You can't read them because I can't spell. So when I write, trying to go fast, it's in, all in tongues. <laughs> With little pictures by things I don't know how to spell. It's like, a little bit like hieroglyphics on a cave wall. Look, our grandfather was a caveman. And so... Um, and to be honest like i think i think partly it was a very busy day and we ended up we were in like eight meetings that day and we had three more after that so uh, there was i think for me it was you know that's the kind of in my mind that's the kind of encounter you should have and go back to your room and sit and think and pray do you know what i mean yep. but we didn't have the privilege of doing that we were, we we had a meeting right after that and a meeting right after that and a meeting right after that and I, and i to be honest the, i think that the impact of that was, was not what God had intended for me. So now it's been, I think, nearly a year, and I'm writing my book, and I'm thinking about, okay, now, what ought to go in this book? And, I'm, and, I, and I started to think about that meeting we had with Doug. And I don't know if you've had this experience before, or maybe this sounds a little scary or weird, but as I was thinking about it, I almost felt like I was having the encounter that I didn't have do you know what I'm saying? It's like, I should have had this encounter, but we were so busy. We we're just, okay, thank you. Oh, we got to go. We got the next meeting. We ran off to the next meeting. And I actually didn't take time to actually, the, I had information, but the impartation like did it take place. And it was like, I reopened. It was like reopening a program that was supposed to run. You know, like you shut your computer down in the middle of a program loading. It was, I know all these weird explanations for what I'm trying to explain that actually happened a couple weeks ago. It was like, I reopened the program and it finished uploading and I'm like, oh my goodness. And I had notes from it and everything. I'm like, oh my goodness. I should have been preaching on that. <laughs> or at least practicing it myself. <laughs> Not in that order, you know what I'm trying to say. I'm a little rustic. Anyway, and, uh, and I, I started thinking about my life. And this is the point that Doug made that, that I thought was... I don't know if I've ever actually thought about it this way. Maybe I have, but uh, definitely um, not the way he emphasized it. He said, I would proactively develop a council of leaders. Proactively. And I thought about my life, and I have great leaders around me, and frankly, you know, I think my story is pretty well documented. And I don't say this out of any sense of humility. I just say it out of, like, this is the facts. Like, if Popper met the prince. That's how my life happened. I, I didn't proactively do anything I, I, I had a nervous breakdown proactively <laughs> proactively went to Weaverville and proactively met the hippie pastor on accident that was pastoring our little church of 40 people and his flower child wife I, I didn't do any of that on purpose and the truth is is that most of the people in my life that are wise actually gathered around Bill. Which I don't mean that's bad, by the way. I think it's good. I'm just simply saying, I'm contrasting like, I didn't proactively do anything. I'm thankful that Jesus did it all. And by the way, I think you can proactively do it. And Jesus is, I'm not saying like, do this instead of the Jesus way. I'm saying the Jesus way is also proactive. Jesus thought through who he was gonna have on his team. I've heard people preach things that I just, I struggle with. You know, I don't think the disciples were a bunch of idiots. I really don't. I I don't think that Jesus was like, okay, let me find the stupidest people I can find to lead my church. (laughs) Well, that guy looks like a fool. You know, I I really, I really don't believe that. Like, I really do. I I think about the life of Moses, and before Moses actually had an encounter with God, God was already directing him. And God took Moses, as you know, put him in the Nile River as a a little boy. He floated down the river, and he he ends up um, in the in the palace of a king, being raised by a king. Now, think about this: if you're if you're going to be a father of nations, if Moses is going to be a father to a nation. What better way to train a guy than to train him in the most powerful nation in the world? And I actually think, and I, I'm not well, let me just finish. I actually think that the training that he got by being raised by the father of a nation actually helped him in actually knowing how to father a nation. I think it was the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. I don't mean the evil wisdom of man, of course. I'm not talking about the Egyptian Pharaoh when he was against God. I'm just saying the 40 years he spent growing up in Pharaoh's house thought, taught him how to think like someone who's leading a nation. Are you with me? So when he, when he sees um, his brothers being mistreated, he thinks it's his responsibility because he thinks like a king because he was raised by a king. Are you with me? And so, I mean, you can see right in the early days when he sees his, his brothers being abused by the, Egyptian, uh, by the Egyptians, he steps in and thinks, well, somebody ought to be doing something about this. Why does he think that? Because he was raised in a palace where everything in the kingdom is the king's business. Now, we understand he didn't get it quite right, and he ended up 40 years of some more training, right? He had 40 years with Pharaoh, and then he had 40 years, and I'm sure... In in fairness, he probably had to unlearn some of the ways of Pharaoh. I get that. But he thought like a king because he was raised by a king. I I think that... uh, This is just subjective, I understand. I don't think Jesus found the... you know. Let me just find the worst guys I can find. It actually said he went up on the mountain, he prayed all night, and he went down and specifically chose the people he wanted with him. And I, I would just... This is just my suggestion, but... And I can't prove it, but I think that he probably, all the years that Peter fished and John fished and the connection they had, I think was part of, I think was all part of their training for how they would lead the church, how they would be founding fathers of a movement. Are you with me? So, so I'm, I'm simply saying that I think that who you hang around with, oh, I, was think, I, I simply think it's okay to pray and make proactive choices about who you will let influence you. You know, I'd rather be right than politically correct. If the truth sets you free, then lies imprison you. I mean, if truth sets you free, then what imprisons you? Lies. So when you hang out with people who are liars who are not wise, who are are fools. You're like, you shouldn't call people fools. I'm going to get to the scriptures in a minute. I should have started with it, but I decided to let you think how harsh I'm being, then read the scriptures and let you know I'm right. Because of Bill's message this morning about making judgments about people. You shouldn't make... You know, Joshua and Caleb... That was a delayed response, sir. You're brighter than that, sir. Laugh, sinner. I'm sorry, that was bad humor. At least you laughed. Some still have not. Joshua and Caleb, you know, God told the Israelites that they were going to go from Egypt. To the promised land we know the story really well right so we won't we won't investigate the story of it. and you know joshua and caleb went into the land as one of the 12 spies to the two of the 12 spies uh, and uh, they went into the land they saw the land they saw the land was good and they came back and moses said you know give me a report 12 spies give me a report what did you guys see let me let's have all the perspectives of the whole team and of course the Joshua and Caleb, I believe, spoke up first and said, The land's great. It's, it's flowing with milk. And it's everything the Lord said and more. It's just amazing. Well, the other ten spies could not focus on the goodness of the land because they saw their problems. The same problems that Joshua and Caleb saw, but they humbly know that when you, when you have a vision, it gives those problems a purpose. <laughs> but if you let fear dictate what you see, all you'll see is giants. And they said, get this, here's their report. The whole land is filled with giants. How many know that? It was not true. I mean, it was not true in the day they said it. It was not true. The whole land wasn't filled with giants. There was, there was one area that had giants in it. And by the way, they didn't encounter those giants till the days of David. What kept them out of the land, they never even encountered. They never encountered them. Let me, let me just repeat that. What they were afraid of, if they would have went into the land, they would have not encounter the giants because the giants weren't encountered until the day that David met Goliath. And actually, Moses actually met a giant, a huge giant, that slept on a huge bed in the wilderness. There was actually a giant in the wilderness. They didn't encounter giants until the days of David, which meant that Caleb and Joshua, they actually didn't encounter giants. What they feared... To <laughs> Come I many you know, it's not what happens in your life, but the stories you make up about it that scares the bejeevers out of you. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the real moral of the story is, is that Joshua and Caleb don't get into the land for 40 years because all the people that, that they were supposed to go into the land with had to die off because they didn't believe. And how many of you know if you hang out with fools, it will delay or delete your destiny? You're like, well, wait a second, we're supposed to help the poor. Yes, help the poor. Jesus hung out with sinners. He did. Hanging out with people you're influencing is great. Letting them influence you, that's a bad plan. I want to stop and say this. I think I said it in one of the other messages that I shared. But one thing I've watched is people that have street ministries often start out giving people a hand up and end up giving them a hand up because they begin to think like them. And pretty soon they have accusations against the people who sent them. Because their their close counselors begin to be the people that they're trying to help instead of the people who sent them to help. And they begin to think with a poverty mindset and pretty soon they're mad at the people who are funding them. Be careful who you let influence you. I'm saying influence anyone, have friends, love everybody. You, uh, You should probably know that, but this is for more of the people that don't know us. Like Love everybody, everyone's welcome in this house. No matter your sin, no matter what you've done, no matter your background, you're welcome in this place. I don't mean just we tolerate you. I mean, we celebrate the fact you're here. Yeah. So good. But if you're thinking like a fool, I'm not going to let you influence me. Proactively, not going to. Good word. Okay, thank you. Proverbs puts it like this, leave the presence of a fool or you'll not discern the words of knowledge. And Paul wrote this, bad company corrupts good morals. How many times have we said, oh, he's a really good kid. He just hung out with the wrong crowd. See, we inherently know bad company can corrupt good kids. But also bad company, and I'm talking about the influence of bad company. I think I made it clear. So from now on, I'm talking about the influence of bad company the influence of bad company in your life and my life can derail or delete or even reduce your destiny. Here's the challenge. You can have the wisest people in the world around you, but if you don't create a culture where truth-telling is, is costly, you'll silence... I'm sorry. I'm sorry, let me say it again. But if you create a culture where truth-telling is costly, you'll silence your wise counselors. What I'm getting at is this. So it's not just finding the right people. It's actually creating a culture where people can actually tell you the truth. Or what they perceive to be the truth. And here's the challenge. I can't tell you how many times, and sometimes I understand why, but I can't tell you how many times people said, what do you think I should do about this? Then when I tell them, it's not what they wanted to hear, so they punish you. And here's two ways to punish people, right? Lots, probably lots of ways, but two main ways. One is I argue with you while you're, trying, while you're talking to me. When you ask me what I thought... Or the second way is I punish you by by making sure that you know I pout. I pout. And I I don't have anything to do with you for a couple months. And I'm saying to you, don't tell me the truth because I can't take it. So it doesn't matter if I have wise counselors around me if I create a culture that it costs you to talk to me. And by the way, the truth sometimes does hurt Proverbs puts it this way faithful are the wounds of a friend a friend listen, a real friend will wound you at times you decide what you're going to do about that sometimes we sometimes we kill the messenger the only one who had the courage to actually tell us what we needed to hear so if you want to be a world changer you'll need wise people around you but you'll also need to learn the art of taking advice well what happens if they're not right well they won't always be right they're not Jesus but what if they are How many of you know the silent treatment is as bad as an argument? I have a few people in my life, not in my inner circle, but in my life, that, that they come and ask me fairly often, uh, fairly often is like a few times a year, what do you think I should do about this? And I, and I always wonder. So the last couple times I said, do you really want to know or you just want me to agree with you? It, because the last time I talked to you you didn 't talk to me for two months, and not you know for me and you know, all my friends know this like i'll do I do conflict pretty well i don 't do shut me out i can't i don 't do shut me out I start thinking loud, oh, I should have done it differently <laughs> how much I usually should have. You know, sometimes people don't get the articulation exactly right. You have to give a little grace sometimes. You know, sometimes really good advice comes with the wrong tone. I, I've shared the story before, but it's, it's, a, it's several years old, thankfully. It's easier to share now. Because <laughs> now I'm perfect. <laughs> I have these issues. I was about eight years ago, Danny Silk came into my office, and I had the door open, and he stood in the doorway, and he said, hey, um, come talk to me in my office. And I said, okay. He said, hurry, because I have 15 minutes before I have to run to the plane. I said, okay. So I I walked in his office, and and he looked really serious. And I'm like, usually we're kind of bantering back and forth. We've known each other since we were kids. So I I go, what's going on? He said, well, listen, this is going to be a little rough, because I only have 15 minutes, and and Danny's usually, I, 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 I teasingly say, Danny can cut you with a sword and it's so sharp, you don't know you've been cut till you go home and bleed to death. <laughs> I can say the same thing, they're like, oh, he ran over me with a tractor. And Danny will say the same thing, the person's like, oh, Danny, he was, and I said, what did you say to you? I'm like, that's what I said to you. So he's, he's very diplomatic. Very wise and diplomatic. And so he said, you know, he didn't say the word diplomatic. He said, I don't have time to actually go through all the steps with you, so I just want to tell you what I'm thinking, and I I feel like I need to say it before I'm gone on this two week trip. I said, okay. He said, "Uh, You're arrogant, (laughs) and your arrogance is like leaking out on people. I think that was his opening statement. You know, you do work for me, right? What are you doing for a job next week? And then I was like, okay. And then he... So I said, uh, okay. And, and that's not Dan's, Danny's normal mode, by the way. That usually comes like 15 minutes, and then you figure out, like, he just told you you were arrogant when you got home. You're like, you just said I was arrogant? And uh, I said... Well, you know, obviously, uh, well, why do you think that? Like, what happened for you to say that? And he named three different people that I had a conversation with in which I was like, he said, you know, when you talked to so-and-so and two of them were speakers and one of them was a, a staff person. And he said, he said, I was involved. I was there when you said this and this and that. And, and I immediately defended myself. I'm like, no, no, that's not what I was thinking. Like you did what Bill just said. You must judge my using your gift of discernment. And it's actually suspicion. I didn't actually say that I, I did defend myself though I said no no that's not what I was, no, no, that wasn't in my heart da 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 and he so you know and I and I, you know it took him about 10 minutes to tell me what you know, those three stories and w- you know what he felt and what the Lord showed him da 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 and it took me about 5 minutes to defend myself and he stood up and he said listen I told you you just work it out I'm going I'm like okay we're gonna, you know you ever have this conversation just crash the plane into the ground and walk out and like no closure I'm like Okay, I'll text you. Well, that always, that's always fun. You know, you get to guess the tone when someone's texting you, right? <laughs> and you always read the tone in it, the one you're in. I'm going to say this to him, so he must be saying that to me, right? That always works. Never try to solve a conflict through email, text. I, I, should tell, remind, I need to put it on the mirror because I do it all the time. It just gets worse. So he leaves, and I, and I, I go, and I, I know, Danny has a big place in my life. I mean, he's one of my wise counselors. I'm like, all right. And, I, and I'm, I'm driving home uh, about an hour later, and I'm driving home, and I'm, I really am hurting. I'm really hurting, and I'm like, wow, my friend thinks I'm arrogant. And I, I'm actually defending myself. I'm like, well, you know, he just needs to, like, get a life. You know, he doesn't understand, like... <laughs> Confidence always looks like arrogance to the insecure, you know? I got all these one-liners going through my mind, you know? You can spiritualize your dysfunction and it gets to stay. I mean, Bill said something like that today. So, you know, I go home and I'm working in my shop, but I'm not really thinking about anything except for what he said to me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's terrible. And I'm thinking about, I'm actually not thinking that he's right. I'm actually thinking about how to convince him he's wrong. And I'm having, you ever argue both sides in your mind? I'm arguing both sides saying, but He's going to say this, and I'm going to say this when we sit down next time. I got a good point I didn't think of when I was in there, because he got up too soon. So that night I went to bed, and I wasn't doing a lot of sleeping. I laid awake. I laid awake. I laid awake, and then I decided to pray. Like three o'clock in the morning, I came to that finally, you know. Like, you ever do that? Like I don't know why you just don't start there. I'd, and I said, Lord, you know, Danny has this issue with me. I hate this, man. I hate having friends. And the Lord said to me, um, the Lord said to me, if you don't trust someone more than you trust yourself, then you can't get out of deception because the nature of deception is you don't know you're deceived which is what I had taught the month before. <laughs> I'm like, That's a good word, Lord. Where'd you get that? From my message? <laughs> Got some intellectual property rights on that going on. I want you to know. The Lord repeated my words. And he said, you said that. So what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. And so the Lord said, do you trust Danny more than you trust yourself? I'm like, well, not at this point. <laughs> and, I, and then I just spent the next half hour just recounting the amount of times that he's helped me in my life, spoke into my life. And, you know, and he just reminded me, you know he loves you. You know that he would have not done that to hurt you. I'm like, okay, that's true. Doesn't feel true right now, but I'm sure it's true. And so... Um, about, I don't know, and maybe an hour went by and it kind of wrestling with that. And then I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to believe he's right because I have to trust someone more than I trust me. This is exactly how it happened. Within 20 seconds of me saying that to the Lord, I instantly saw my motive, which was total arrogance. Do you know when that happens? You're just like, oh my... And then I started seeing a whole bunch more where Danny didn't know about. <laughs> How many have ever had that happen? And you're like, I'm a worm, I'm a worm, I'm a worm. <laughs> I, am, I am such a worm. Oh God, forgive me. So the next week we were in staff and he and I apologized to the entire staff, told them what happened and asked him to forgive me. And I wrote a letter to both... Those um, guys that I had spoken to, uh, they were traveling speakers that were friends of ours. And I said, man, this came up in my heart. And, and there was actually two or three more messes I went back and cleaned up. And, and uh, but how many know, you'll need someone in your life that in tough times you trust them more than you trust yourself. Because we all get into these, it's not just about you. Sometimes you get in these things with your family. You're so emotionally connected, Right. You you know what you would tell someone else, but you don't know what to tell you. And you need your faithful counsel, your proactive counsel to come around you and speak truth in your life. And sometimes what they're sharing with you doesn't feel true, but you're like, I've trusted this person for 30 years. I will certainly trust this counsel. It doesn't feel true, (laughs) but I bet it's true. That's a good word. There are five questions you need to ask yourself that will reveal whether you're acting like a fool or carrying yourself like a wise leader. Let me just give them to you. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to counsel. And so my question is, are you acting like a know-it-all who thinks you're always right? Or do you instinctively and intuitively ask for input? Enough said. Number two. Proverbs fifteen five says, A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. Do you let people correct you or are you hard headed? Number three. Oh Number three. <laughs> Proverbs uh, that was, so that was Proverbs fifteen five. Proverbs eighteen two says, A fool does not delight in understanding but only reveal in his own mind. When someone's giving you input that you don't like, are you thinking of your rebuttal while they are talking, or are you listening from the heart? I want to stop. I think I might have said this already once in some way, but I want to just make it really clear. One of the things that I've noticed in my own life, both in giving counsel and receiving it, is people don't always get the words right when they're absolutely right. And if you're looking through the words, and it's like if you're like... If, while they're talking, you're like, you got the Webster Dictionary floating through your mind, and you're taking apart their argument because they didn't get that word right. Wow. You were missing it. So because I, and I'm learning. I, you know, every, I, I, I hesitate to say I've learned anything in God, because I've learned, one of the things I have learned is knowledge is like an onion, and every time you think you learn it, God takes you to another level, and like, I don't even know if I know this. So I'm, I, I want to be careful to say I've learned anything because then I'm going to get tested. And I, if I say I don't know anything, I'm like, Lord, just keep me down here. <laughs> I don't think I know anything. But one of the things I feel like I'm learning is this, is that when someone tells me they have a struggle with something I'm doing or something, whatever, they have different counsel, counsel that's opposite of what I'm thinking. If I will stop long enough to stop defending myself and ask and, they're, and maybe they didn't get the words just right and I start asking questions like okay what are you thinking what are you feeling a few minutes into it I'm like oh I was a po- they used this particular phrase I didn't like that but actually what they're talking about from the heart is right I see what you're saying I mean, you know, not everyone's a wordsmith and even the, uh, those of us who preach for a living and write books for a living we don't get it right either Sometimes, and sometimes when you get your emotions involved, like it starts out good when you're trying to say something to someone, but you get emotional and you say things like, oh, that's not exactly the way I meant it to come out. But the heart's still right. Are you with me? So, yeah, that is a good word. Number four, is talking to you a waste of time because you never change? Or do you actually act on wise people's counsel? Uh, Proverbs, that's Proverbs 27, 22, says this. Though you pound a fool into mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. I mean, the difference between a wise person and a fool, you know, they both make mistakes. I mean, if you're human, you make mistakes. But it doesn't matter what you say to a fool, he never changes. The last one, Proverbs twenty-eight, twenty-six: He who trusts his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Are you overconfident, arrogant, and, or egotistical, or are you humble, teachable, and influenceable? I've shared this a lot of times in the area of sexuality, especially with men. In men's meetings, I, this is a pretty constant theme with me with leaders. I'd say more often with men, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's only a man thing. I just remember sharing it more often with men. And I say to men, do not trust yourself sexually. Do not. You have a natural drive, and you can lie your way into a relationship that you should not be in and end up where you wish you were never. Do not trust yourself. If King David can fall, you can fall. And we're like oh king david he was before he was born again i get that and that would be awesome if we didn't have leaders all around the world who have fallen who know jesus since i've been a christian who often end up in our offices for restoration so if it was just an old testament thing i wouldn't be talking about it but some of the most godly men and godly women end up in a relationship they shouldn't be in. And by the way, I'm not, right now I'm using sex as an example and sexuality as an example because it is a good example. But there's a ton of other things. Compromise in finance, compromise in, in you know, it can start out innocent but you know what, when you have a council of leaders that you've invited proactively around you and you say to them, hey, come into my life and speak into my life. And then you don't punish them when they go, i got a problem, like I'm concerned about that thing going on there. I remember years and years and years ago. Should I share this? Well, no, uh, I'll just be more general. I ended up in a compromising situation with a, a gal I, I wasn't. It wasn't on my side. I don't mean I'm just that perfect. I just mean thankfully it wasn't on my side. It, it honestly was not on my side. But I had this relationship with this particular gal who actually worked for me. This is many years ago, thirty years ago, and and um, she had come out of a very broken home. And I had, I uh, had Kathy and I were family friends of hers, and and um, and and then she became closer to me in our in our work, just in way, in where we worked and what we did. And so I was with her pretty daily for a couple hours a day. And, you know, she would tell me about her family, and I prayed for her and wept with her. And, you know, very, very, very tough background, very tough family situation. And um, it was just a tough situation. And Kathy started to feel not good about it. She was like, Need, be careful. I'm like, I'm good. I, I, I really was good. Like, no attraction. I'm good. She's like, I don't know, something's not right. I'm like, well, anyway, time passed. And uh, one day she calls me at home at night and I'm like, hello. And she's like, I know you love me and I know you want to run away with me. I'm like, what in the, the word I'm supposed to use, I can't use from the podium. I hand the phone to Kathy while she's talking I said here talk to Kathy. And she's like, "You know, Chris wants you to know that he loves me and he wants to take me away." She's like, "You're delusional." And I'm like, "She's delusional." Well, it was really, it got really, really messy. And, and you know, then it was, and it didn't end like that. You know, Kathy, she said, I'm going to kill myself if I don't have them. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> 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 Will you be late for work? <sighs> uh. We were on a prophecy, he was on a prophecy team of mine and and we, we, we would, we were, this is in the early years where we were still practicing. So we weren't inviting people in yet. So, and it was about 30, 35 or 40 of us. I, this is like the year Bill left, I believe. And uh, Danny was brand new there. So, so we we're, it was like Friday night, like nine o'clock at night. So we were taking different people and put them in the center. So I said, okay, here's what I want you guys to do. I'm going to get in the center and you guys prophesy over me. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to judge your prophecies. They're like, okay, cool. Well, she's first. And she's like, the Lord says... I'm like, already, you know, when we got right there, I'm like, oh, crap. (laughs) And she starts prophesying. Then her and I are supposed to go be together for life and this whole thing. And, of course, the team's like, I'm like, bad prophecy. (laughs) And I, I... She's still prophesying, and I, and I grab one of, the, one of the team, and she's still going for it. And I'm like, no, 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 that's, and she's just going, got her eyes closed, and it's like this long prophecy. I go, I grab one, I go, go find Danny. And they're like, I don't know where, I said, find Danny now, hurry. So, you know, they go, Danny was at, thankfully in his office, and they grab Danny, he comes out, she's still prophesying, you're supposed to be with me forever, and Jesus said, da-da-da. And Danny's, like grabs her while she's still prophesying and walks her outside. And, Thank you. So, you know, sometimes you're okay. I guess I should finish this story. Like, sometimes <laughs> there's no end to that story. That crazy stuff went on for a year. I called Bill. I don't know if you remember this, but I called Bill and I called... I got Danny, and I hey, dude, if I'm doing anything wrong, please speak into my life. Like, I got close to my leaders. I'm like, if there's anything in me that's causing that, or even helping that to happen, I don't see it, so please tell me. So, and, and thankfully, that was one of the times where there wasn't. <laughs> Whoa, I did something right. Thank, thank you, Jesus. But sometimes wise people, maybe there isn't anything wrong on your side, but they can see there's something going on on someone else's side. And they're like, hey, something's wrong here. This isn't quite right. And you don't see it because you, you have no ill intention whatsoever. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, so wise people. There are generally three reasons... Oh, yeah, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. He who walks wisely will be delivered. There's generally three reasons why people are overconfident. One, they have lots of training and experience, and therefore they're overqualified. Number two, they have lots of teaching and little experience, and therefore they don't actually understand the problem. (laughs) That happens with us in the media all the time. We listen to the media for, you know, we listen to the news like five days in a row, and we think we we know what the president ought to do. It's because we're overtaught and under-experienced. Sometimes, if, sometimes when you have a simple answer, you just didn't actually understand the question. And the last one is because people are arrogant and they cover their fear with pride. There's a, there's a, cr- a crazy story in First Kings chapter 12. I, I'm going to tell you the story for the sake of time. We have 10 minutes left. It's in First uh, Kings chapter 12. And it's actually, uh, it's actually the whole chapter. I'd really encourage you to go home and read it. But I want to tell you about it. It's the story of Rehoboam, who is Solomon's son. Now, how many know that Israel had 80 years, which, is, which they call the golden years of Israel? They had King David and they had King Solomon. Now, Solomon's last years were not the best, but they're still, they still prospered as a nation. And, uh, and Solomon had a son, Rehoboam, and Rehoboam becomes king. And it says um, that Rehoboam, he, in fact, maybe I should read it, it, says Rehoboam became king when his father died. And there's a Bible account, Rehoboam's folly. Okay, it says, um, King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon. Well, he was still alive saying, how do you counsel me to answer these people? So these people, the people, when, when Solomon died, Rehoboam became king. And the people came to him with all these complaints, all these things they needed, you know, they, they needed changed in their life. And so he called this council of elders that was, he didn't choose, his father chose, that counseled Solomon. And um, he said, how do you counsel me? And they, said, they spoke to him and said, if you will be a servant to this people today... And serve them, and grant them their petition, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the elders which they had given him, and counsel with the young men who grew up with him, and served him. So they said to him, "What counsel did they give you that, w- that what count- I'm sorry. So he said to them, "What counsel do you give me?" that we may answer this people who have spoken to me. And he goes on, they go on to give him the stupidest counsel. He said, my father, he said, my father, they said to him, tell them your father's baby finger, your, your baby finger is bigger than your father's. And therefore my father, my, my father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. And he went on to, to speak to them harshly. And it says that the heart of the people were turned away from Jeroboam. And the sad thing is, it could have been Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It could have been David, Solomon, and Rehoboam. But because he listened to the counsel of his friends instead of the wise counsel of his father's elders, Israel's heart was turned away from Rehoboam, and Rehoboam lived a terrible life, and God reduced him. How many of you understand that? It's good to have friends. But you want to find people. When you, when you proactively develop your council of leaders around you, you want to find people who are wise where you're not. This is the challenge. You know, we can talk about it all day long, but we all have this human thing in us that feels intimidated at times when people are really good at something we're not good at. Especially if it's something we encounter all the time, like your friend's really good with money, and they have, they take big vacations and they have nice stuff, and you know they basically don't make a whole lot more money than you do, but they're really wise with their money and they invest it, and their money makes money, and their their money makes friends with bigger denominations. <laughs> and your money makes friends with smaller ones. Because you get, your money gets eaten up with interest and they figure out how to make interest on their money. And it's da, 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 da. And the bottom line is, is that you get a few years down the road and you started to, you know, maybe you grew up together. And pretty soon they have a mansion on a hill. And I'm not saying that's spiritual. I'm just saying what they did with their money was better than what you did. And you, you kind of don't want to be around them. At least you don't want to be around them in the conversation. Like, let's have dinner at my house, not your mansion. Because we tend to be intimidated by people's strengths. And the truth is, is that when we walk with wise men, we become just like them. And if I will let go of my pride, and, and, and we're using finances now, but it's, there's a hundred more areas that are more important than finance. Family, relationships, spiritual with God, a relationship with God. But we hang out with somebody that we're like, they make us a little nervous. Those are the kind of people we typically need in our life. Know your kids are brats, and their kids are well behaved. You're like, oh well, here's 14 reasons why they, you know, they just don't have the genetic code we have. (laughs) Well, either that, or maybe they know how to raise kids, and maybe you don't. Well, there's just something about you know, being around people who are good at what you're not good at. So, Proverbs puts it this way: in the abundance of counselors, there's victory. Listen, I don't... People like... Someone asked me the other day, like, well, how many counselors should I have? It's like, like, what's the magic number? It's like, no, no, that's not the point. It's not like, let me find 12 people. No, it's like, proactively think through what you're not good at. You know, and if you're older than about 25, it's probably becoming pretty clear. (laughs) If you don't know, ask the people around you, they will tell you what you're not good at. And and find people that are good at things you're not good at. Not people who know the answers, the people who live them. I'm gonna say something, I hope it's offensive. <laughs> There's this um, whole movement of, what do they call these people, personal counselors? Life coaches. Listen, I love life coaches. It's just the people, lots of the people who are life coaching don't have a life. They're like, I haven't had a job for 12 years. and I'm going to tell someone how to run their life. I'm like, seriously? Seriously? I had so many people. I'm like, what do you do for a living? Well, and I couldn't find a job, so I became a life coach. Oh, so you're going to tell someone else how to do life? You will kind of figure it out, how to do life? Yeah, I went to this class and I got a degree. Seriously? Seriously? Well, let me tell you how to do marriage. I I have never been married, but I read a book. No. No, I'm looking for fruit. Not fruits. I'm not looking for fruits. I'm looking for fruit. I don't care what you know. Show me what you've done. Have you got some fruit on your tree? You know? (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> all kinds of examples are coming to my mind that I should not share right now. I don't know where people, like the life coach thing is awesome. Like it's just discipleship, but you know, you kind of have to be ahead of someone to like lead them somewhere. I have several friends, like they're business coaches. They've never been in business. They've never been to have a business class. I'm not even sure what they're telling them. Well, my wife and I, I'm like, oh, stop. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I have um, nine more pages of notes, but I'm just going to finish right here. (laughs) So here, my, my part two would be what to look for and how to develop a council of leaders in your life. But let me, let me just end with this. There's two different times when wise people should speak to you. First and foremost, when you ask for it. And secondly, when they see something in your life you don't see. So two times people should speak in your life. When you ask for it and when they see things in your life that you don't see. How many of you know that when you're unconsciously ignorant, you don't know that you don't know? You don't know to ask the question. You know? Like you don't know to ask the question. Like when you're doing something, that you know we we um, technology is not an area. Well, automotive technology I did great in, but when it came to the, something in front of me, I can't figure out. Like I I don't know what's wrong. Like I touched thing, I had the anti anointing. Like actually computers actually catch a virus from me. <laughs> I don't even know how it transfers, but I think it's actually true. So maybe I have no faith for technology or something, but. But, you know, we have been building this blog site for about a, a year. I have this team around me. I, I told my, um, my, my two PAs, I said, go find the wisest people we know that are good at this, that actually do this, and let's hire them to speak to us. So the first meeting, we were in the meeting for about 10 minutes, and this is like 10 minutes of the meeting, and, and, and the guy, the, this consultant says, do you, have, do you have a list of questions? No, no, you don't understand. I'm that ignorant. Like, I don't even know what questions to ask. I, I, don't, I wouldn't know what questions to ask. Like You have to talk to me so I can learn, so I can ask intelligent questions. Because I'm way down here, I don't even know what questions to ask. Right? And what I'm getting at is this, and I'll finish with this. If you develop the kind of culture around you that people can actually speak in your life, then you ve- develop a culture of invitation where people can actually share with you things they're thinking that you didn't ask because you wouldn't know to ask them. Either you're ignorant of it, or at least you have a blind spot, right? And it's called a blind spot because, not because people, other people are blind to it, (laughs) but but because you're blind to it. And, And what happens in our lives, and I'm sure I have those spots too, what happens in our lives is like, have you ever had a friend who has a big blind spot, like it's like glaringly bad, and like you're friends with a whole bunch of his friends or her friends, and when you get aside, you all counsel about it? <laughs> it's not called gossip when it's our friends. <laughs> and we all talk about it's like da da da, but but because we have a codependent and not. a not an interdependent relationship No one wants to tell their friend Because they don't want to, well, quote, hurt their feelings Of course, I wouldn't want to hurt their feelings And so we decorate the room You know, there's just crap everywhere So we just decorate it like, you know We just put elephants in there And make it look like a jungle scene So <laughs> it doesn't look like our friend is pulling on themself <laughs> That's called a codependent relationship. And then you walk out of there and you're like, "Have you ever stepped into a codependent culture that you're not a part of?" And you're like, "Hey, does anyone seen the elephant?" You're like, "Oh yeah, no, no that's a pet." <laughs> you see the trees, we put the trees around us. we imported those from Africa. Like, have you guys thought about, oh, no, that, don't talk to them. Oh, no, they're, they're connected to them, and they're connected to that person. Wow, this is really weird. And then if you shoot the elephant, then you're really in trouble. I, trust me. <laughs> Amen. That's so a way to in the message. Shoot the elephant. How many of you would like to be really wise people? How many understand that wise people will have friends who sometimes wound them? How many? Less hands that time. <laughs> How many want to grow in God? I should have started there. <laughs> Worked backwards cool. Why don't you stand and put your hand on your heart? I hope I haven't done anything wrong this week. <laughs> I get home. My wife's like, there's something I want to talk to you about. It an the elephant. Put your hand on your heart. You know, I love what David said. He said, Lord, search me and see if there's anything in me. He said, see if there's any wake way in me. But I want to just kind of... Change that slightly to say, if there's anything in me that's dysfunctional, because it doesn't just have to be wicked, right? Just if it's dysfunctional, if it's something that Jesus is working on. And Lord, I just pray that you would just prepare us for a wise counsel of people who would actually lovingly speak into our lives, people who love us too much to leave us the same. And Father, I pray that you would help us to find wise people as Doug Coe, so so eloquently and graciously said to my friends i pray that you would help us to find wise people that would help us to be successful in god and that we could also be help them be successful in god and i bless this family i bless those who are watching by bethel tv and father i thank you that there's no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus so even tonight, as we're talking, people are thinking, oh, I've, I've failed so many times. Well, welcome to the human club. Thank Jesus for the cross. Right? He didn't die for mistakes. He died for sins, which means those are the ones you did on purpose, the ones I did on purpose. Thank you that we have a Savior. So let's thank Him, Lord. We thank you that we have a Savior, that we don't have to live in shame, condemnation, or guilt, that you provided a way that we can actually live in peace as we confess our sins and as we, as we repent, as we change the way we do life. And Lord, we bless you and we thank you for your strength in our lives and we pray for grace in the weak areas of our life and we thank you that you've never, you've never called us to be fools. You've called us to be wise women and men. And you said, in fact, you said you've given us the wisdom from another age. And so we bless the people of God as wise sons and daughters of a wiser king. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much.